0: Hello, welcome to our broadcast. We're gonna be talking today about Tabernacles and enjoying the blessings and benefits of God. Well,
1: who doesn't love the head of the year? I mean, who doesn't love just moving right on into the new? I love everything about this celebration. It's
0: going to be exciting. Now listen, if you're within an hour away, it's not too late to get here on campus or tune in for our live service from Word Alive International Outreach. Chuck Pierce is here with us for Tabernacles. And it's going to be a blessing. This is that time of year where we celebrate God's goodness, and it's harvest time.
1: It certainly is. We are really looking forward to it. I mean, I've been looking forward to this for a hot moment. I mean, we have just had such an opportunity this year for so many new revelations and just the practical application of really being the ecclesia at large and being in the marketplace. It's been phenomenal.
0: We got a powerful testimony today of giving from our friend Dr. Sandra Dalton Smith. She had a powerful breakthrough, and now God is using her around the she's globe. She's just
1: one of my favorite human beings on the entire planet. I mean, not only is she anointed, not only is she one of the smartest people that I know, she truly has a revelation, and she's serious when she says, it's for you.
0: It's really, really good. Check out this testimony, and then we'll be back to tell you just a bit more. Well, you're a member of this church, Word Alive, which is a beautiful, we're here in Oxford, Alabama. Tell us how you have been impacted by the project that you're calling All In Alabama. Now, this is where this church, you, you as a people, sponsored this whole thing and led it going to 67 counties and you know, collecting as many spiritual, civic, business, educational leaders, medical leaders and talking to them, tell us what happened in that or what that's all about.
2: Yes, it's been amazing just to watch how that all unfolded, particularly during this time of year when COVID hit Yes, and and be able to see it actually continue to progress. My particular portion in that really had more to do with directly kind of helping some of the teachers and some of the different staff who were coming to me with concerns about their burnout situation that they were experiencing. And so what ended up happening is I was actually invited to share and to train a group of providers who were doing care within the schools. And so what they did was they had a retreat, asked me to come and they invited people from every county that was in Alabama to come to this retreat to actually learn how to prevent burnout within their field of business at the educational systems. Mm. And so it was really interesting because I actually, I actually didn't have to go to all of the different counties. The counties actually all came together Beautiful. for a meeting specifically related to this. We did it down at the beach, someplace where it's restful in nature automatically. But we did that as a way of really just trying to pour back into people, because I feel like that's more my portion. I'm a, I'm a physician, I like yeah. to see people heal and restored and strengthened. And so I did my portion in that way.
0: And you taught the, like the whole day or how? how yes, did
2: that? so we had a session where we got together for a day and talked about rest and how to get rest and practical ways of doing it and how that actually affects how they pour back out to their students, how they're able to actually do their jobs, how they're able to, to give back to the community because I feel like that's why so many people are not actually able to fully live up to everything that they feel God's place in their heart to do. They're willing, but they're tired, they're exhausted. They don't have the energy to do it. And you know, and when we're talking about people who are training our kids, training the next generation, they need strength because that's stressful. And so to be able to pour back into them, you know, that that's the portion I can do. I think that's important that each one of us, you know, that's assisted within our part within all in Alabama. We're not trying to do it all, we're doing our one piece. Mm-hmm. And when everybody does their one piece, it's very powerful.
0: Wow, powerful testimony, and and just continues to unfold. I did a podcast with her today, and it's just it continues to unfold the blessings.
2: For
1: well, me. she's such an influencer. I mean, she has radically impacted the Center for Disease Control. Yeah. I mean, their whole. I believe their whole employee and staff have gone through her book, Sacred Rest. Their whole Rest. curriculum now yeah, oh, is Sacred Rest, her book. it's unbelievable, unbelievable. It's, it's, it's
0: phenomenal. If so, you haven't
1: read it, make sure and get it. She has several other books, but this one, this is the pinnacle. It was just really amazing.
0: If you'd like to connect with us in our transformation community, you can do that by subscribing to our daily email to receive prophetic power and encouragement. You can join us for a four-week discipleship course free free online with videos and a PDF workbook to go along with that. Or obviously you can begin a house of light. We can instruct you how to do that to, to have your sphere of influence being the ecclesia or of course you can give. If you'd like to offer a first fruits offering today, you're more than welcome to do that here and we'll put that to good use to continue transforming lives, cities, a state, and nation. Beverly's gonna pray a prayer just a moment for us over Tabernacles and then we're gonna bring you a brief message from our friend Paul Keith Davis. Paul Keith's got a revelation that this Particular feast of the Lord we're celebrating right now is the Feast of Adoption. And it is a wow. powerful revelation how this ties into our adoption as sons and daughters of God. You don't want to miss this message. It's going to release a seed of revelation inside of you that's going to fulfill Romans 8 it says, The whole earth is groaning waiting for the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. But just before we go to Paul, Keith Bell's going to release this prayer of blessing over this tabernacle season.
1: Lord God, thank you for this time of celebrating Tabernacles, a new season and a new year. It is a divine appointment in which we turn to you in repentance and faith for the upcoming year. We declare today that we choose life and blessings over death and curses. Our hearts look to you with all of our attention and reverence. We blow the shofar in victory and praise, aligning ourselves to God's purpose, plan and will, knowing that our year will be full of your blessings is only by your grace and mercy that our names are recorded in the mm. book of life we have been adopted therefore we decree as for me and my house we will serve the lord shout to the lord with a voice of triumph we decree and declare 5784 is a year of not waiting and not hesitating he will be great in 5784 god will fill your plate and you do not have to wait
0: huh, yeah
1: we are blessed going in and blessed coming out we are the head and not the tail. We are walking into our inheritance and into our spiritual inheritance for our bloodlines. This is a year to grow in the Lord and to become fully mature in our call, our destiny, and our purpose. As for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. Happy tabernacles. (laughs) That
0: is beautiful. And interesting, you said mature because Paul keeps bringing the word on the wios sons of God, the mature sons and daughters of God. Watch this message, you're gonna be blessed. And then right after that, jump online again to watch us for our live service with Chuck Pierce here at Tabernacles. We love you, be blessed, and happy Tabernacles. Tabernacles.
3: Hello everyone, Uh, Paul Keith Davis here with another Word for the Moment video blog. Um, We'd like to first of all just say how much we appreciate uh, hearing from you and the emails that we have been receiving. Especially thank you to those of you that help us and support us. And and, um, we've heard quite a number of you have been touched by the healing power of God. Praise the Lord for that. We've especially had quite a number of healing reports and our table meeting that Amy and I do on Sunday evenings. Thank the Lord that He's healing His people and strengthening us and making us ready for what's coming. I'm of the utter conviction that everything we do from now forward is to make ready a people for the coming of the Lord and preparing them for the age to come. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation chapter 19, the bride makes herself ready. The bride of Christ, those that will be in a union experience with the Lord Jesus Christ are making themselves ready. They're washing themselves in the revelation of the word. John 17, 17, the Lord says, Father, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. And there is a lot of prophetic revelation that is going forth right now. There is an emphasis of the Spirit on uh, us preparing ourselves, cleansing our soiled garments from unbelief or or false doctrines or idolatry that has been incorporated in the belief structures of the church over the last 2,000 years. There will be a pure bride that is the revelation of the Word. The Word and the Spirit consolidated as one. And I want to talk about that today. We are just at the beginning of the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, I have been teaching on tabernacles now for about 25 years. And I know I'm not the only one. But I believe that uh, the, the, the prophetic implications of the Feast of Tabernacles are extremely significant uh, as we prepare for the coming of the Lord. We know that Passover and Pentecost were prophetic of the Lord's first coming, and we know the feasts of the seventh month are prophetic of the Lord's return, the return of Christ. And the spirit and power of Elijah is once again being released on the earth to make ready a people for the coming of the Lord. Absolutely. No doubt about it. This zealous spirit that cries out, if God be God, let's serve (laughs) him. Let's serve him. We may even have a few Mount Carmel showdowns along the way. But the Lord is proving and vindicating his word. And I have been doing a teaching in our table meeting uh, on the prophetic implications of the Feast of Tabernacles. It is the Feast of the Open Book. One of the last commands that Moses gave to Israel was that At the time of booths, at the time of tabernacles, when they cross over into the land of promise, take the book and open it and read it before the entire congregation. From that we can glean prophetic application of that the end of the age, when we enter into the land of promise, the promise of a union experience between the bridegroom and the earthly bride. There will be the unveiling of all the mysteries and secrets of God. The sealed book would be revealed and consumed, as it says in Revelation 10, by a community of people that become the revelation of the word. The Feast of Tabernacles is the Feast of Restoration. I don't have time to take each one and go into it, but we know that the restored temple, the first thing they did was enjoy or experience uh, the Feast of Tabernacles and rededicated the temple. We know it's the Feast of His Presence, and we'll talk about that maybe here in a moment. The Feast of His Occupation. He's going to occupy a body of people. I want to talk about that as well. So there's many, the Feast of Glory. When Solomon dedicated his temple, the glory of during the Feast of Tabernacles, he dedicated the temple. And when he did, the glory of God descended into that temple. And then even something greater happened. After the Babylonian captivity, a prophet stood up and said, the glory of the latter house will be even greater than the former. And he was speaking, of course, of of Solomon, the glory of Solomon's temple. And how could a restored temple that had been torn down during the days of Nebuchadnezzar be greater in glory than the one that was built by Solomon? And we know the reality now, looking back over history, what made that temple greater is that the Son of God God manifested in flesh, came into that temple, sat on its steps and taught about the kingdom of his father. Oh boy, that made that temple greater, the greater glory in the restored temple. And all of those are prophetic of the generation now in which we are living because we are going to experience prophetically those implications that are associated with the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And I want to talk about one today. One that I shared just briefly a, a little bit on in the table meeting this past week, but the Lord seems to be emphasizing some of these points. And I want to take it, I want to start, if I can just do this quick little study, from uh, John chapter 12, a kind of a familiar passage, but one that we may look at a little differently today than, than uh, we've looked at it in times past. But you know the story. Uh, some Greeks come to Philip, some Greek people, some Greek men, and they said, we wish to see Jesus. And if there is a cry of this generation, I believe it is, we wish to see Jesus. Not religion, not churchianity, not uh, all the things that we have made it to be over the years, but I believe the heart's cry of this harvest generation is, we wish to see Jesus. I believe that, and I believe when they see, when the world a big percentage of the world really sees the Lord and who he really is. There will be a great harvest. There will be a, a wonderful harvest of souls because they're going to see that he's the God of love. It is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. Make no mistake about it, though. It says also in John chapter three, that beloved chapter, he that believes on the son has eternal life. But those that do not believe have no life in them and the wrath of God abides on them. We don't want that to be on anybody, but that's in the word. We can't neglect it. But I believe a huge number of people are going to see the Lord as he really is. And they're going to embrace him and lay their downs for the Messiah, the son of God that gave himself for the remission of our sins. So here you have the story, kind of a unique thing. So Philip and Andrew come to the Lord and say, Lord, there are some men out here, they're Greeks, and they say, we wish to see Jesus. And here was his response, a little unusual. Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That was his response. (laughs) I'm sure Peter and Andrew scratched their head a little bit and said, I'm not really sure what that means, but okay. But let's, t- let's take a broader view of it today. The Lord, of course, was speaking of himself. Let's connect that to what we believe the implications are for the Feast of Tabernacles. And here is what the Lord says. We wish to see Jesus. Okay, well, the Lord himself only lived in one generation, and he only ministered for three and a half years. But he made a phenomenal prophecy. He made a phenomenal prediction. He, he said, I am the grain of wheat. The Lord was the grain of wheat. And unless that grain of wheat dies, it abides alone. But it had to die. The Lord had to die in order to bring forth multiplied grains of wheat. Listen, like the original seed. So 2,000 years ago, the Lord went into the earth. He died. But after three days, he was resurrected. You better believe it. The Messiah was resurrected from the dead with resurrection power and resurrection life and glory and honor. Oh, I would like to see that event one day. I believe it with all my heart today, but I want to actually see it when the life of God came back into that body and he came out of that grave with resurrection power. He was resurrected, but his life went into the soil. And here was the prediction as that grain of wheat goes into the soil 2,000 years ago, and matures and grows and cultivates the life over 2,000 years of church history. When it comes time for the harvest, Jesus said in Matthew 13, the end of the age is the harvest. So at the time of the harvest, this is what Jesus said, there will be multiplied grains of wheat like the original seed. The Lord replicating himself his life coming to abide in a people called the bride of Christ and the sons of the kingdom so that the people can see the Lord, but this time through a people. Doesn't it say that by his foreknowledge are we predestined to be conformed to the image of his son? That's Romans chapter 8. I'm going to talk about Romans 8 here in a moment. So I believe a big part of the Feast of Tabernacles is that we're going to see the Lord occupying. That's the whole idea of tabernacles. We see that in Exodus 25, the Lord tabernacling among our, uh, his people. In John chapter 1, verse 14, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and, and, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The original language there, and pitched his tent among us. He tabernacled among us. In other words, He was he was relating his own the tabernacling of God in a body of flesh to the feast of tabernacles God tabernacled among us and John uh, in 1 Corinthians 5 Paul talks about our tent this tent that we have and this tent is to be the the body of the Lord Jesus Christ Hebrews chapter 10 tells us a body thou hast prepared for me a body was prepared for the Lord to occupy that he would be our kinsman redeemer. But now there is a multi-membered body that we are to be the tabernacle of God, the very temple of God, not in earnest, but in fullness. That's a very important statement. Not just an earnest of the spirit, but the fullness of the spirit. Paul talks about this in his epistles. Ephesians chapter three, among other places. I don't have time to develop that at the moment, but here we are in the feast of tabernacles and I long to be tabernacled by God. (laughs) I know you do too. That's why we're here. We have no other reason to be here, but to become the tabernacle of the fullness of God, the fullness of God, not in earnest. Not just a gift oriented ministry, but a presence driven ministry because there will be a body of people that will have entered into union with the Messiah and they will be an expression of God on the earth and the people will see the Lord living in and among his people, doing through his people what he did when he walked the earth in human form. That's the greater works. The works that I do shall you do also, and greater works than these shall you do. When we live in the fullness of the prophetic implications of the Feast of Tabernacles, we will do the greater works. I was teaching this to my group um, you know on Sunday evening this past Sunday and out of my mouth, I made this statement because I was I was relating, Uh, the Lord occupying us to mature sonship. That's what it says in the book of Ephesians chapter four, that we will come to the unity of the faith and the true knowledge of God and to a mature man, to the fullness of the stature that belongs to Christ. That's phenomenal words. Just think about those words. A mature man on the earth to the fullness of the stature that belongs to Christ. That's in the word of God. So therefore, it has to be true. (laughs) It has to be fulfilled. Someone's going to live it. And I believe the secret to that can be found in the book of Romans chapter 8, when Paul is talking about mature sonship, when he is talking about this thing called adoption. A very misunderstood spiritual concept, I believe. Many teach that, um, that adoption in the Bible is... Our modern concept of a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing when there is an orphan, uh, someone that doesn't have parents and a family will adopt them into the family and give them the rights and privileges of being a part of that family. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, That is, but that's not what adoption means in the Bible. The word is huiothesia, the placing of a mature son. Many people teach that God adopted us in. Well, Here's the thing. Let me just do a brief little teaching here. We're born of God. We're born of God. We're born of the seed of God. 1 John 3, 9 says the seed of God, the seed, the sperma of God abides in us. Uh, 1 Peter says that we are born again, not with a perishable seed, but an imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. So If you're born again, you're born of the seed of God. That's what the scripture says. You're born of the seed of God. And if you're born of the seed of your father and you have the nature of your father abiding in you, then you have no need to be adopted into the family of God according to the modern concept of adoption. So what does adoption mean? Well, let's just let's just check it out. Let's see what 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 Paul had to say. I know this may be a new concept to many. I wrote, the, I wrote about this. I have a whole section of this on my new book coming out in a couple of months. But let's just take one scripture. I'm only doing a little 20-minute blog, so I don't have time to establish a full-blown teaching on it. But let's just, just take the scripture here a minute. John, Romans chapter 8. Now, this is Paul, of course, writing the epistle to the Church of Rome. Now, at the time, according to scholars, Paul had been an apostle for about 25 years. So, by the time Paul wrote the book of Romans, he had birthed numerous churches. He had written numerous epistles throughout the churches. He had been persecuted. He had been abused. He had been imprisoned. He had been beaten. He had been shipwrecked. He had suffered greatly um, for the sake of the gospel. He had already been to heaven numerous times. I received my gospel not by the teaching of men. Um, or the reading of a book, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he was clearly a seasoned apostolic veteran when he wrote the book of Romans. I want to establish that point. And he's writing to a church that was under the horrible, corrupt leadership of Nero that was being greatly persecuted, not a baby church, a mature church, a church that had been established, they were not newborns, they were veterans in the faith. And he's writing this about maturity and about sonship and the the sufferings of that present age are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is going to be revealed to the mature sons. Now that's the context, a brief context, of what Paul is saying in Romans 8. Now listen to this verse, Paul, this veteran apostle, writing to the church of veteran believers. Romans chapter 8, verse 23. Not only this, listen, Paul says, we ourselves, Paul including himself, Paul says, I myself, and we ourselves, this veteran community of believers that have suffered for the sake of the gospel, we ourselves who already have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So here, clearly, Paul is not talking about adoption, the becoming of a newborn believer. Paul is talking about to the mature, the placing of a mature son in the fullness of the Lord's purchase on their behalf. The fullness of inheritance comes at the time of adoption in my, I was just preaching along to my table group and this statement came out of my mouth and I stand by it. I believe theologically it's true. I, I said, the feast of tabernacles is the feast of adoption. Now that's, you're not going to find a chapter and verse on that, but I believe the truth of that is right. That at the time when the mature believers are experiencing the prophetic implications associated with the feast of tabernacles. They will enter in and be placed into their position as a mature son, having been given access to the fullness of their inheritance. Paul, he said, Paul even said himself, I'm longing for my adoption. So he wasn't longing to become a believer. He wasn't longing to become a newborn son. He had been a a son many years, but he was longing for the benefits and the privileges that come with the mature recognition of a son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Galatians chapter four talks about that. We're born with a right to everything, but don't have access to, to it until we have been in the fullness of time recognized as our adoption as mature sons. I know that might be contrary to what many people have been taught, but that's the Bible. Look at the scriptures. The word itself, huiothesia, huios, means a mature man's son. Thesia, the placing of a son, not the becoming of a son. Let me read to you something I wrote a few years ago. In adoption, a son is recognized as one who could faithfully represent the father. He had achieved maturity where the father could entrust him with the responsibility of overseeing the family business. The son became the heir of his father's inheritance. Birth gives one the right to inheritance, but adoption gives one the the participation in the inheritance. I believe that to be true. Friends, as we are now entering into this season of tabernacles, what is the focus of the Spirit? I believe the focus of the Spirit is that the Spirit of Adoption is coming upon us. That's what it says in Romans 8:15, the Spirit of Adoption. There is a spirit of faith and gives you faith. A spirit of revelation can come on you, gives you revelation. A spirit of power, healing can come and releases healing. So when the spirit of adoption comes on you, what does it do? It promotes you to move from infancy into maturity. It, it in, inspires you to grow up into a mature man. It reveals to you the revelation of the word of how we can move from, from an adolescence position into a mature man position where we can be placed into the fullness of our inheritance, I'm prophesying to you today that here we are in the midst of the feast of tabernacles, and the Lord is releasing upon His people the spirit of adoption. That's exactly right, friends. The spirit of adoption is being released. I want it, Lord. I I don't want to be complacent. I don't want to be satisfied with where I am. I want to. I want to be satisfied with where You intend for me to be. And that's what the spirit of adoption does, it moves you, it it pushes you, it grows you. That's what Galatians 4, under the leadership of guardians and tutors, an infant child becomes a mature man and then recognized as the father's son who can then access the fullness of his inheritance. Adoption is not the becoming of a son, it is the placing of a son. So Lord, I pray that you will take this truth and release it to your people. Lord, release the spirit of adoption on every one of these because we'll have a revelation of you as our Father. You know what the spirit of adoption does, friends? It gives you a revelation of your Father, a real revelation. I I know we can have an intellectual knowledge of God our Father, but I'm talking about an experiential revelation of God your Father. When Jesus was resurrected, he told Mary, don't cling to me. I must go to my Father and your Father." He told her, My Father and your Father. May the spirit of adoption release upon you a revelation of the Father and His glory. You know, Jesus said, I am in the Father and the Father is in me and I'm in you and you're in me. This this cohabitation that is depicted by the Feast of Tabernacles of God dwelling in us and us in God. The revelation of the Father by the spirit of adoption that we can be moved into the place of the fullness of our inheritance. May the Lord release that upon you. I ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.